to the She Lives Through This podcast. I am one of your hosts, Dina Delisa Gonzar, and I am here with Holly Newton, my co-host. And today we are welcoming Kristen Hallinan to our podcast. And Kristen is a writer and a speaker who is passionate about helping women redeem the pain of their past and move towards a healthier and more hopeful future. She enjoys working with teen moms, crisis pregnancy centers, and serving as a premarital mentor along with her husband, Sean, in Dallas, Texas. And you can also find her other writings in publications like Relevant Magazine and The Joyful Life. And she is busy chasing after four kiddos. And she also mentions that her favorite treat is homemade gluten-free churros, which Kristen, I'm going to need the recipe for those for sure. Side note. (laughs) But welcome to the podcast today. We are so excited to have you on today um, and to possibly steal that recipe from you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I just love how y'all dive deep with women and get right to what matters most. And so I'm just so happy to be here. Yes. And you just recently released your new book, The Legacy Changer. Amazing. Congratulations. We're so excited for you. Can you let our listeners know a little bit about what led you to writing this book? Yeah. So I I think you mentioned I'm a mom of four now, and I've been married for almost 18 years. And about five years ago, I knew that something had to give. I was honestly out of control as a mom and as a wife, and my relationships were not what they wanted. I wanted them to be, and not what I knew God had for my family. And so much of it stemmed from the pain that I was holding from, honestly, a dysfunctional and chaotic childhood. And I had a lot of work to do. And so I got busy with mentors and in therapy and doing trauma therapy like EMDR and really equipping myself with the tools that I needed to function from a more peaceful, free place on an everyday basis because I wanted to have the capacity to have patience with my kids and to love on them the way they deserved. And what I was really scared of was passing on all of the unhealthy behaviors and patterns I saw modeled in my family. I didn't want that to be my kid's story also. And so all of the tools that I learned during that healing time, I put them together in a package and that's what the book is. Um, It's a very doing kind of book um, because I want women to have the tools they need to make real practical changes in their life. It's very encouraging and can bring hope for your family. But I know that in order for real lasting hope, we need to understand what the Bible has to say about healing and we need the practical tools in order to get there. And I think that's really important. We're seeing, and I don't know if you both agree with me, but in the past, like, I don't say maybe 10 years, there's been a huge shift in churches recognizing that there are actual mental health needs that need to be addressed biblically or it needs to become more open that there are, you know, people are carrying around like heavy hurt and and heavy burdens from that stem from either family hurt, relational hurt. So this seems like a really big, 
big topic. And when I hear you say that you notice within yourself, like, hey, something is not right here. I'm wondering how you made that connection to it possibly being something from your 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 past, like it, not just saying it's my fault. I need to do the work. I did this. I made myself this way. You had the the um, I guess the trying to think of the word and it's not necessarily hindsight, but you, you knew to say to yourself like, Hey, I need to check back at, you know, how I grew up and into my, my past. That's probably a hard realization too. Yeah. It was, it really came in two steps. And the first one was about 13 years ago. Um, in between our second and third kiddos, we lost a baby and I was just not recovering well emotionally, mentally from losing that baby. And I, growing up in my house, anything to do with like counseling or mental health help, any of that was super shamed growing up. It was, you know, that was for the week or you're just getting tricked into paying those therapists money. And, and I eventually felt like I might be a fool for going, but at least I'm going to be a fool that finds some help because I am not okay. And so I found myself in a counseling office for the very first time and then kind of surprised myself with how quickly and healthily I moved through lamenting that loss and then realized that God had me there for a whole lot more than just grieving the baby, that I had a lot to grieve about things that should happen in a childhood, like emotional connection and care and love, all these things that really were pretty absent from my childhood. And so I had a lot more to grieve. And so that was my very first time I was like, okay, there's something here that these things might not have been my fault, but they're my responsibility now to do something about it. And so I started a journey of starting to learn about boundaries and what health looked like and what I deserved in a relationship and that my voice mattered. And so that was the very beginning of it. But um, fast forward to five years ago, my mom had moved in with us. We were still living in Colorado and our house was for sale. And so, you know, it's kind of chaotic in our house, but she needed a place to stay. So she moved in with us and her being on our territory totally just magnified all of the unhealthy underlying things that had always been there. And it was quickly making my marriage suffer and drawing me away from any capacity I had to be a good mom. All my emotional resources were used up on her. And it was every morning that I would go in, we had given her one of our boys' rooms. I would go in that room and find her still in yesterday's clothes in a tangled heap on the floor. And I was picking her up off the floor and picking up all the pills that were scattered everywhere and terrified. What if it was my 18-month-old that had come in and found her and found all these pills and not me? And when this was happening morning after morning, and that was, you know, just one of the, the, a snapshot of what was going on in the big picture. I eventually made the decision to ask her to leave our home, even knowing that she had nowhere to go. And it was the hardest choice I ever made, but also the most right choice because my kids deserved protection. And I so badly had always wished someone had protected me from all of these things. But here I was inviting that into my kids' lives. And I just said no more. So 
it was, it wasn't hard to see at that time where the lack of health was stemming from, but I knew that I still was carrying so much pain from it that I had to really get busy doing something about the pain that I was carrying. Yeah. Kristen, thank you for sharing that. I I know, you know, it's a hard story, but obviously God has given you um, overcoming and through, you know, the word, through counseling. And I I think this is an important message. You talk about breaking generational cycles. Obviously, there were cycles that needed to be broken. And, you know, as a mom of four, I know you're looking to hand down a different legacy. Like you're talking about, it's not, you know, oftentimes people, it's not that they don't want to get better. They just don't know how to get better. And so I'm sure that that was some of your thread as you're welcoming your mom, (laughs) you're going through personal things yourselves and and you're having to dissect and put some boundaries and and make a plan Mm -hmm. for how are you going to change what's been handed down to you? How, how are you going to invite God into that? So could you share, you know, how, how did you know to take the next step and how did you know what the next step was to begin to come out of the cycles that generations had handed you? Yeah, it's a great question. I was in such chaos mode at the time that day-to-day functioning was not going well because my baseline was way up here. And so anything, any, you know, normal daily stressor, especially, you know, the stressors that kids bring was just easily pushing me over the edge. I learned in therapy, the term window of tolerance, but my window of tolerance, you know, what I could tolerate before just me feeling like it personally in chaos was very, very small. And so I had to first get out of chaos mode. And so I had to learn some de-escalation techniques for my own self to calm down, to take a minute away, to call a friend, make my days not quite so jam-packed. And so I had a little bit more breathing room in each and every day. And so I started putting some new practices in place like that, learning some better coping mechanisms. I, you know, we're all addicted to some degree to something because we're all coping every day. And it's just what are we soothing with? Is it healthy things and a healthy amount of those things like, you know, exercise or, you know, anything can be overdone. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Is it chocolate or is it drinking more water? (laughs) That's a good point. Sit and take inventory sometimes of like, all right, I think I'm coping but what does my coping actually look like? And can I do better? I really love that point. Yeah. And I mean, because our our kids quickly pick up on that and then they're modeling that same thing. Yeah. And they turn around and they say the same thing to you or they mirror to you what you're doing. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's not good. (laughs) Yes. How committed am I sitting here right now? (laughs) Yes. When my oldest was four, he began saying, knock it off all the time to us. And I was so convicted, like, I must say, knock it off all the time to this sweet child and had no awareness of it until he started modeling it back. Mm -hmm. Um, But (laughs) so as far as, you know, getting out of chaos mode, it's little tweaks like that can make that can make our day more breathable. 
I highly, highly recommend getting a mentor or somebody that is not your parent, is not your spouse, that can be listening and just helping you process through some of these things. Um, you know, not everybody has access to therapy. And so when you don't, I think a mentor, um, especially from your church, can be a really good resource to just get someone to reflect back to you in kindness and in love what they're seeing in your life. And then if therapy is an option for you, therapy is absolutely, I think, the next next right step. Um, and whether it's with a therapist or not, doing some story work and diving in, like, what is my story? Because pain has a really tricky way of making us kind of forget what happened to us. And reorienting our memories as a survival technique to avoid the pain. And so doing story work and laying it out, I think is not only a good way to start figuring out like, when did I start believing those lies about myself and where did this shame creep in? But also for me, it, I was so shocked by the way I saw God showing up because I didn't grow up in a believing house and I didn't become a believer until my early twenties, but I could see evidence of God all over my story and just protecting me and saving me time and time again. My therapist likes to tell, remind me, she's like, Kristen, stories that start your way don't usually end up this way. And you can just see God's hand and love and care all over this story. So I think even when, you know, initially you want to think back and like, I just can recall this, this, and this, all these things that were really hard to get through and really painful, but also you can see God. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's interesting how we, uh, like you talk about writing your story or reframing your story. And it's like, we have to be careful that we're not letting other people's uh, narrative of who we are and, and where we came from become our actual story where we we think that that's actually the truth or where Satan kind of wedges himself in and he's and he's helping write the narrative that goes on in in our brains and I love how you're saying I can look back and see where God had a hand over my life and how far he's brought me we talk about recall a lot with She Lives Fearless, inviting people to really, yeah, to write down in a journal, track your track your story and track your answered prayer. So you can go back and you can recall. That's a great, a great tool. And I know we hear a lot about trauma these days. Like that's a word. It's almost, I mean, yeah. almost become a, a buzzword in a sense. People mm-hmm. throw it around, I think, a little bit too flippantly on, on one hand. And on the other hand, I feel like some may be listening to this and being like, well, yeah, like I've had some um, hurt in in my past at the hands of my family or sure people did things wrong. But I mean, I wasn't like traumatized, like everybody measures their trauma and uses other people's stories as measuring sticks. You think that's kind of dangerous and kind of like a, a falsehood, like you shouldn't you shouldn't just um, brush it under the rug and say, well, I don't have the trauma that looks like this person's trauma, so I guess I'm fine. Such a great question, Dina. Yeah, I think two sides of that. Number one, pain is pain. And so whether or not you think your pain wasn't quite as bad as somebody else's, or you think, gosh, what I went through is way worse than her, like, you know, she shouldn't be going on on about that pain. Pain is experienced through the lens of our 
family blueprints, our beliefs, our past, our pain tolerance, like pain is experienced through so many different things that all pain does is worthy of being healed. And so it's not useful for us to say like, my pain wasn't quite as bad. And so I'm just going to brush it under the rug because if it was pain that is unhealed, then it's still affecting you today. And then as it relates to trauma, trauma occurs, you know, true trauma that gets stuck physically in your nervous system and is activated over and over again through the limbic part of your brain. That is occurs when two different things take place at the same time. Number one, when pain feels so overbearing that you don't feel like you have any choice but to endure it. You don't feel like you can end it or stop it. You don't feel like you can use your voice and speak up or make any change that you just have to endure this pain. And then number two, the care that you receive afterwards doesn't match the intensity of the pain. So, you know, we were created for community by God. And so every single time that we endure pain, whether we are little or whether we are an adult, it needs to have somebody caring for us and helping us process that emotionally and help us process it through our brain. And if it doesn't, that memory gets stuck in our nervous system. And so that is the true definition of trauma. When something reminds us of it and your body fires up all those same hormones throughout the nervous system. And it thinks it's happening again, right here, right now. And I need to be ready for fight, flight, or freeze. That's like a so, physical thing. It's not yeah. even just like a thought or a feeling. It's a real physical situation. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. 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 So when Kristen, people are like, you know, yeah, go ahead. When people are, you know, like, I just feel like I'm always in a hypervigilant state. I'm always like sensing the temperature of the room, trying to assess everybody's moods. I feel like I'm easily startled. I'm always looking over my shoulder or I'm always just feeling like tight chested or feeling nauseous, like all these physical symptoms that are manifesting that seems like, I don't really know where that's coming from, but I just feel yucky. Oftentimes that is often a sign that there's some unhealed trauma there. Yeah. Yeah, Kristen, when I'm listening to you and, and curious about the listener who is listening to this episode and maybe identifying with what you're saying. Um, before I ask you the next question that's burning in my brain, <laughs> would you say that you have found levels of freedom from that place? Tremendous. Yeah, I think. I would never say that I'm fully healed. Like I have passed that finish line because I don't think we pass that finish line in this life until yeah. other side of heaven. But the freedom that I have now knowing that my voice matters and yeah. that I can speak up, the freedom that I have found from that hypervigilance the freedom that I've grown into knowing that I deserve to set boundaries and have them respected. And so all of those things have made a tremendous difference, not just in like overall the legacy I think I'm passing down, but I can see it dramatic difference in how I show up every day. Yeah, that, that is wonderful. And this is a, I would call it a drawing a line in the sand when we take a stand and say, you know, because of the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives as believers, the power and authority that lives in us, that we can overcome, we can heal, 
we are flesh and it does, it is a journey. And like you said, you know, until, until we're done on this earth, I mean, we will always be in a process of some sort, but you can draw a line in the sand and say, no, from here Mm -hmm. forward, this is what my legacy will look look like. It will, we're believers here. And we talk about the authority of Jesus. It will fall in line with kingdom and my past does not determine my future, but you know, it's important that, you know, when you reach this point, like you were at like, Oh gosh, I've got to do something that we take a step forward, right. Into Mm -hmm. that. And I'm listening to you and know you're a mom of four. Um, I raised three children myself and um, (laughs) have sight to some of the raisings of my grandchildren. And, you know, it's a lot to balance life as a mom and a wife and do all the things. So on your healing journey, I'm curious, how did you find balance to deal with your personal healing and the time and the effort physically, emotionally, spiritually, while keeping all of the plates spinning? What was that experience like for you? And what would you say about it for someone who may be in the process or maybe like, oh, yeah, that's a big step forward because I don't know how I would deal with everything else in my life and me too? Yeah. I think for me, I just had to start looking at it as I would have looked at any other medical emergency. That, you know, if, if we had been in a car accident and we had a broken leg to deal with, I wouldn't say like, okay, that's not great, but it's inconvenient. And honestly, maybe we'll get to that in a couple of years. Like we would say, we're dropping everything to deal with that now so that we can heal properly and function going forward. And that's just how we had to treat healing. My husband did not come from the same background. And so at first he had a hard time understanding what I was going through and the severity of it and like the importance it needed to take in our life. And the thing that was most transformative in him understanding was he read The Body Keeps the Score. And it's a long book and it's a dry book. So maybe you want to pop it out in an audio book. But his eyes, you know, for somebody who had not experienced trauma in their childhood, it was super eye-opening for him to understand like, this is something that's really happening in her body and this is beyond her control and it deserves healing. And so I think reframing it from like maybe a form of self-care that falls in the, like, I want to go get a massage. I'd like to attend an extra yoga class. Like those things that seem kind of peripheral and extra, like this is not that. This is necessary and The Bible speaks to healing by transforming our mind over and over again. So it's not something that is woo-woo. I I feel like EMDR and brain spotting and all these things when you don't really understand what they are yet, they can feel like that feels a little weird. And what are you doing there? But it's in line with scripture and God can do miraculous things and offers the common graces of medical care for all sorts of other areas of our life. And I think it's no different for this area. And I imagine as you are healing personally, that it causes, I mean, maybe even some friction or maybe it it starts to change the relationships you have with people around you. Because sometimes as you're healing, it can make other people upset because it's starting to shine a light on what 
maybe they possibly have to work on or something that they maybe caused. I could imagine like as, you know, sometimes you turn around, I could say even with my own mom, I'll be like, well, I learned that from you or, uh, well, you used to do it that way, but I feel like I've learned that it's much less anxiety inducing to do it this way. And that kind of confrontation starts, you know, it kind of ruffles some feathers. And as you mentioned, even with your husband having to learn the importance of you working on these things, like sometimes our partners or our husbands, they don't, they don't, they don't understand where, where we're coming from and they don't see the necessity in, in healing. So how do you manage the relationships around you as you, as you walk your journey? Yeah. And you know, relationships, I kind of like to think of them like a dance that we're doing and Mm -hmm. the dance that I've been doing with each person for, you know, in many cases, decades with our family, everyone's used to that dance. And even if it's a really unhealthy, not great dance that we're doing, they're used to it. And so all of a sudden I start changing some dance steps and they're like, what are you doing? I liked yeah, that dance yeah. that we were doing. I was used to it. It was comfortable. Yeah. I knew People how you were going to dysfunction sometimes. Yeah. It's yes. more comfortable there. Yes. And so it can be a not fun thing for the other person. But when it comes down to it, all of their responses to you healing and you putting in some boundaries, maybe for the first time, you growing, you changing, that is on them and that belongs solely to them and you aren't responsible for a single part of it. You're responsible for delivering boundaries and love and making every effort you can to maintain a strong relationship, a peaceful relationship. But at the end of the day, their responsibility is how they respond to you. And it's a reflection of their own emotional health. And that can just be something that I know the fear of it. Well, you know, she's going to have a horrible reaction and things aren't great now, but, but I just, I just don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. What I say to that is think about the cost of not rocking the boat. What is it costing you to stay the same? And probably even more important, what's it costing your kids for you to stay the same? Um, Because I think almost always that cost is greater than the potential discomfort of someone not liking that you're changing and doing things differently. Yeah. You know, I mean, good, good points. And you know, something about adult friendships is we need to realize sometimes friendships are there for a season. And then there's, there's very few that are there for the longevity because of the nature of when we move into adulthood, I know that like when someone is growing and you're in a relationship, say a friendship, if you have one party growing and, and one party staying the same and, and they're wanting, they're comfortable with the known that it can be a very disrupting thing in a relationship. Yeah. I, I have close friends, you know, I, <laughs> but from, from seasons past that are still my friends, but there's not that closeness that maybe there once was because of physical location or change in life seasons. And I think that's something we need to acknowledge, especially as females, because 
we can look inward quickly. We can, and a lot of self-talk that is not good for our souls can begin to happen if we don't, yeah. if we don't be careful, uh, if we're not cautious with, with how we're handling change in relationships. And I, I think what you're saying is important that you are not responsible for the other person. When we're living according to, you know, God's, God's word and what he says to do about how we love others and others may not be responding well to that, especially if there's new boundaries and new changes, we cannot own their feelings. We, we do have to continue to move forward and, and growth for, for ourselves, but also for the world around us, for the responsibilities and roles that we have. And so you've given us some really good advice on that. And I have a feeling there's a lot more in that book. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I would love to continue this conversation, but we're out of time for today. But Kristen, could you tell us, tell the listeners how to get your book? It was just released last week. Lots of good interviews out there and good stuff. Can you tell them where to get the copy and how to connect best with you? Yeah. Um, book is available Amazon Target wherever you like to buy books and on the home page of my website kristenhallinan.com there is a cycle breaking quiz that you can take and the results you get I offer some free coaching in there on the next best steps for you on how to break the cycles in your family so if you're like I think I want to do something but I don't know how to get started um, go take that quiz and I love connecting. I love hearing your story. So please reach out to me, Instagram, Kristen.Hallinan, um, or email me anytime. Wonderful. Okay, everybody, go get that book. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes as well, direct links. Thank you for joining us in the She Lives Fearless podcast this week. We'll be back with you again next week with another episode.